Hi everyone, my name is Francis and I'll be reading us the second Bible reading today, which comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 to 35. Now about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as, they, if, as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Thanks, Francis. Uh, it's good to be with you today. My name is Ollie, and I hope your weekend is going well. Uh, certainly mine is, as you might be aware, Melbourne won in the football uh, yesterday, so I'm very happy I've got my red and blue on. Though it was close at times and my heart was struggling a bit, I feared that I was going to expire and John would have to um, preach at short notice, but in God's kindness I survived. Well, uh, today, as you've heard, we're thinking about singleness, and it is a vitally important topic. As Michelle pointed out for us earlier, we've got many in our church who are single, but even for those who aren't single, sadly, sometimes, well, sadly, that's the way of life, that people die and someone is widowed when there's a marriage. We've got divorce. We've got all sorts of different situations that might happen, even within our church family. And so this is a topic, really, that's just vitally important for every single one of us. But as we begin our sermon today, I'm going to pray. So please pray with me. Gracious God, uh, we praise your name for you are the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And so please be with us now, we ask. In particular, please be with those of us who are struggling with singleness. Would you draw us near and remind us of your daily goodness? And Father, would you help us as we consider your word to see just how beautiful singleness can be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sometimes in life, we need to settle for second best. That was certainly the case for me as a kid. That's how I felt. Growing up, I desperately wanted a dog. And so my, my siblings and I would constantly hound and hassle my parents to try and convince them to let us get one. But sadly, they wouldn't budge, and so we had to settle for a whole different line of second best options. We had our ginger cat named Amber. Now, despite what the name might sound like, Amber was actually a male cat. And he was a big brute of a cat with a short temper, but maybe that's fair enough being a bloke with a girl's name. But we had to settle for second best. 
Uh, after amber, we had a budgerigar called Sky. Now, if you don't know what budgies are, they're small birds that kind of sing and speak a little bit. And I guess they're okay pets. But when you have your heart set on a dog, they're certainly settling for second best. And then, of course, there was our plastic-eating guinea pig called Patch. And it was the hardiest guinea pig I've ever seen. Most guinea pigs last for about six months. This one lasted for eight years. And for that whole eight years, we had to settle for second best. See, that's the reality of life sometimes, isn't it? We need to settle for second best. And today we're thinking about singleness. And I think that often we're given the impression that just like me with Amber or Sky or Patch, my, my pets, that singleness is settling for second best. I mean, think about it. That's why rom-coms, romantic comedies are so big. The whole point of those movies is that there's a main character. And the whole point is that they find their love partner. And sure, they might have to overcome different hurdles or obstacles along the way, but it always ends with them together, able to live happily ever after. We're assured that having a partner is the key to happiness. And if you don't, then you're settling for second best. Or what about the recent lockdown laws? Remember back last year in our first big wave, the government brought in intimate partner bubbles. Basically, if you were in a relationship with someone, you could go over and spend time at their house. But what about those who are single? No allowances were brought in for them. In fact, there had to be a whole campaign to raise awareness about it before the government finally brought in friendship bubbles. And what does that show us? Well, that singles were an afterthought. They were seen as second best. So often it's assumed in our society that you must be in a relationship to be happy. It's seen as impossible that you could live a fulfilled and satisfied life while single. And so if you're single then you're settling for second best. But do you know what? Sadly, I think that's rubbed off on churches. We see being single as being second best as well, as settling for second best. I was chatting with a single mate recently, and he told me about a church he visited recently. On only the second time he went to that church, the pastor asked him, why are you still single? as if there's something wrong with him because he's single. I mean, it shows where that pastor's heart lies, that that's what they'd ask on the second time meeting someone. Or another time, I went on a mission to a church. And on the first day, the pastor stood up and announced which of the mission team were single. And how by the end of the mission, he was going to make sure those single people were no longer single. I mean, how bad is that? We're meant to be on a gospel mission proclaiming the good news of God. And instead, all he's interested in is setting up those in the mission team with others. See, in many ways, big or small, active or passive, intentional or unintentional, even in church, we communicate the message that if you're single, then you've settled for second best. But actually, what we see in the Bible is that singleness isn't second best, not at all. It's actually a good thing. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's easy for you to say that singleness is a good thing. Uh, you're married with kids. 
you wouldn't understand how tough it is to be single. And in one sense, you're right. I haven't experienced the challenge of long-term singleness. But what I hope today is that you see not what I say, but what I hope today you see what God says about singleness. I hope you'll see the beauty that singleness can offer. We'll spend most of our time, as we consider it, in 1 Corinthians 7, 25 to 35. But before we do, it's worth briefly considering what's come before it. In verse 1 of the same chapter, chapter 7, Paul says it's good to be single. Have a look at verse 1 with me. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. See, he doesn't say it's okay. He certainly doesn't say it's second best. He says it is good. He says the same thing in verse 8. Have a look at verse 8. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. See that again? It's good to stay unmarried. That is single. And then in verse 7, he calls singleness a gift from God. Have a look at verse 7. I wish that all of you were as I am, that is, single, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. See, gifts from God are always good things. God is a good gift giver. He's not like your grandma who gives socks and jocks at Christmas. God always gives good gifts. And that's how singleness is described, as a gift from God. I wonder, is that how you've thought of singleness before? I suspect many of us see it not as a gift, but as a curse, as something grievous rather than good. Yet God says it's good, a gift, something of value to be treasured dearly. And that line of thinking continues then as we go into our passage for today. And Paul begins by saying he has no command from the Lord. And what that means is just that Jesus never explicitly addressed this topic. But nevertheless, Paul is still speaking as one who the Lord has seen as trustworthy. Have a look at verse 25. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Now, this isn't just Paul's opinion and therefore something we can disregard or ignore. Paul's writing here with the authority of an apostle, writing the divinely inspired word of God. And in that capacity, he gives us his judgment or his wisdom. And that's what we need because sometimes life is difficult. For some things, they're quite easy. Some issues, they're black and white. So obeying God is always right. Murder is always wrong. Generosity is always right. Greed is always wrong. Some issues are black and white, but other issues need wisdom. They need judgment. And whether or not you get married or stay single is one of those. It's an area where we need pastoral advice, pastoral wisdom, and that's what Paul offers us here. And he says, in that capacity, it is good to stay as you are. Have a look at verse 26. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Now, there's a bit of debate about what the present crisis is talking about. 
Uh, some say that it's a famine that might have been hitting at the time, and that's possible. But much more likely, I think he's referring to the end times that they and us are living in. And I'm convinced of that because in verse 29, he says, time is short. In verse 31, he says, the world is passing away. And both of those suggest that he's talking about the last days, the end of the world, rather than some particular crisis. On top of that, Jesus actually uses the same Greek word here, ananki, in Luke 21, when he's talking about the, uh, the great distress, that is, the last days. And Paul says then, because of the times we're in, because of those last days we're in, it is good to remain how you are. If you're married, stay married. If you're single, stay single. Have a look at verses 27 and 28. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. See, it is good to stay how we are. Now, of course, as he says, we haven't sinned if we don't. Of course not. It's a wisdom issue. But it is good to stay single. Paul's, Paul's point here is that time is short, so don't waste it. Use it. Did you see that as he continues into verses 29 to 31? Have a look at those verses with me. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they don't. Those who mourn, as if they do not. Those who are happy, as if they were not. Those who buy something, as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world, as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. See, whatever our life circumstances look like, we're to live in light of that same truth, that time is short, this world is passing away, that one day, which could be soon, Jesus will return, and on that day, the world as we know it will end. So don't hold then too tightly to the things of this world. Martin Luther, the great reformer, speaks about this kind of thing, and he has a saying that I really like. This is what he, uh, this is what he says. So he says, there are two days in my calendar, this day and that day. That is, the day when Christ returns. And so the point is, we live this day, we live today, in light of that day, the day when Christ returns. Now, of course, uh, this doesn't mean that, Paul's not saying here that husbands should ignore their wives and that uh, completely push them off to the side and live as they please. Of course not. Merely the point is, time is short, so live accordingly. Keep our eyes set on that day. And see, when we do that, when we set our eyes on that day, the day when Christ will return, as we do that, the more our hearts are set on that, the easier it is to be content with whatever life phase we're in. Whether we're married or single, mourning or happy, whatever our life circumstances, we're able to be more content because our eyes are set on that day. And so, do you see how much better this is? What a better story of singleness. It says, actually, there's something far more important than whether you're single or married. 
Um, I can't stand TV shows like Married at First Sight or The Bachelor. They really get under my skin, partly because all of the contestants are so fake and shallow and only interested in becoming C-grade celebrities, but also because they peddle the lie that you need a relationship to be happy. And therefore, that if you're single, you've settled for second best. And it would break my heart for my single friends to watch that and to feel like second-class citizens because of it. But God's picture is so much better. He says there's something far more important than your relationship status. It's that day, the day when Christ will return. So set your eyes on that instead. That's what Paul says to us. And he says that actually, as we do, therefore, there's benefits to being single. Did you see that as the passage continues? He says, singleness isn't second best, it's actually helpful. And that's why Paul refers to it as a gift from God. In what sense is it helpful? Well, because those who are single have less worldly concerns, which frees them up to serve God. Paul starts by talking about men and husbands in verses 32 to 34, and he says, married men are concerned with the affairs of this world, they're concerned with the affairs of their wife while single men can focus on God's affairs. Have a look at verses 32 to 34 with me. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. Paul then continues and says the same thing about women. Have a look at verse 34. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. And certainly as a married man, and I'm sure all the other married people out there can attest, lots of my time is devoted to thinking about how I can love and serve and care for Cassie and Levi, as it should be, and that's a great blessing. And much of Cassie's time goes into thinking about how she can care for me, which is not an easy task. But that's the reality of married life. Those of us who are married have the joy and the challenge of loving each other in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, until death do us part. I was listening to a sermon this week and heard of one lady whose husband was in an accident. Uh, It's a very distressing situation. He got severe disabilities and needed round-the-clock care. Um, Very distressing to hear, but in a moment of despair, this woman said, I didn't sign up for this. But with the greatest respect, she did sign up for that. That is what marriage is. Loving and caring for your partner no matter what might happen, even if they fall sick even if they need round-the-clock care. Marriage also means uh, more relatives to care for. It's no longer just one set of parents to care for, but two as they age and we need to care for them and love them and spend time with them. And when kids come along, there's all new challenges. There's the madness each morning of getting the kids fed and off to school. There's teenage tantrums to be handled with grace and care. 
there's a young person that needs to be taught the gospel. And then, of course, when kids grow up and leave homes, they're still not off our, off our hands yet, and certainly they're not off our minds. See, that's the reality of marriage and kids. It is hard, time-consuming work. Now, does that mean Paul is anti-marriage, or he has a low view of marriage here? Of course not. All we need to do is look at Ephesians 5 and we see how highly he speaks of marriage. Paul's not anti-marriage, but he is realistic. He's realistic about the genuine challenges that marriage involves. And so it's a good challenge to us, I think. For those of us who are married, are we realistic about marriage and the challenges involved? Because it's unhelpful for our single brothers and sisters if we're not. If we make it sound like marriage is all smiles and happy and easy, the reality of life is that there's challenges with being married, challenges that single people simply don't face. But singleness isn't just about what we're spared, it's also about what we're given. Those of us who are single are given a unique opportunity to be single-minded, to be undivided, in our service to God. Did you see that in verse 35? Have a look with me. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. See, singleness is so good because it allows us to serve God with less distractions going on. It allows us to focus on God without the distractions of husbands or wives or kids. That's why singleness isn't second best. Now, of course, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying that singleness is easier. There are unique challenges that single people face, meaning that in many ways, being single is actually harder than being married. For some, there's the brutal challenge of loneliness, the desire for intimacy that's especially true if there's a lack of good friendships. There's often also the real and difficult challenge of not having kids and feeling that we're missing out on all that's associated with that. And there can also be the pressure to always be active at church because you have more time, so you must use it to serve at church, of course, or so it's said. And those challenges of singleness change depending on the decade and the life stage you're in. Uh, In our teens and early 20s, singleness is often celebrated as a good thing. But as we hit our mid-20s and we start to see our friends getting engaged and married, we start to wonder, when will it be my turn? We face the challenge of seeing others go through something perhaps we desire to go through ourselves. In our 30s, there's then the dawning realisation that perhaps marriage will be off the cards now that it's something we'll never experience. In our 40s, perhaps there's the grief of realising that we'll never have kids. In our 50s, that's even more the case. And there's the challenge of coming to grips with the fact that this is what the rest of our life might be like. In our 60s, there's the the challenge of approaching retirement. What will we do when we retire? How will we spend our time? 
in our 70s and 80s, there's the difficulty of, th- difficulty of thinking, what happens if I get sick? Who's going to care for me if I get sick? And there's also the approaching spectre of death. Will I die alone? Singleness is not easy, certainly not. And I'm aware that I only have limited experience with this. I got married in my 20s, and so I've never had the challenge, the struggles of being single in my 30s as I am now and and past that. I never watched my friends get married and wondered if I'd ever get married. I never watched my friends have kids and wonder whether I'd ever have kids. I never had the challenge of coming home from a long day at work to an empty and lonely house. See, I'm not up here today pretending that I know all what it's like to experience all of these challenges. I don't know what it's like. But as your pastor, I want you to know that I care about you. I care when you hurt and I want what's best for you. I hate to see you suffer. And so please know that Cassie and I and the staff team and the elders, we're here for you and we want to love you and we want to care for you. We want to care for you as you face the genuine challenges involved with being single. Singleness is not easier. But it is simpler. And that's Paul's point. Not that it's easier, but that it's simpler. There's no sick kids to look after, no sick partner to look after. There's no partner and family to plan your schedule around. And so in that respect... It is simpler. And that's why Paul says it's a gift. It might feel like an unwanted one at times, but in God's goodness and under your stewardship, your singleness should feel like a gift to other people. It's a gift to them as you invest more easily in rich and diverse range of friendships. As you spend more time discipling and walking alongside fellow believers. As you serve in many and varied ways at church. And of course, that's all stuff all of us should do, of course, single or not. But in particular, those who are single have more time to do it. Some of you might remember Peter Adam. He spoke at our church camp last year. And uh, Peter spent his lifetime serving God in many different capacities as a minister, as an author, even as a principal of a Bible college here in Victoria. And I managed to chat to Peter last week and uh, amongst other things, I chatted to him about how he spent his life as a single Christian. And it was a great encouragement to chat to him and hear what he said. But in particular, this is what he said about a lifetime of singleness. He said what was good about it was the freedom to focus more energy time and thought on ministry. The freedom to focus more energy, time and thought on ministry. He certainly said it can be tough at times, but it's also such a blessing. And I'm so encouraged to hear that answer. I mean, it certainly doesn't mean life has always been easy for him. He's been faced with challenges being single, of course. But that's the key to being content in singleness seeing it as a gift, even if unwanted, that you can use to serve God. And that's what Peter Adam did with his singleness. Uh, He could stay at Bible college late, working on books and marking student work and coaching students. 
He could invite whoever he wanted to after, over for lunch after church without having to check with his wife and kids. He could spend lots of time reading God's Word deeply and wrestling with difficult theological issues to then love and teach others because he didn't need to give time to a spouse and kids. See, in many ways, Peter used his singleness to serve God and that's what we're to do with our singleness. Now, of course, it doesn't mean you can never relax. The principle of the fourth commandment is that as humans, we do need time to rest. And so certainly spend time resting, recharging your batteries, getting ready to serve. So certainly do things you find enjoyable. But what it does mean is that we're to be intentional about our singleness. We're to use our singleness just like Peter Adam did. And in fact, just like the Apostle Paul did. And even more so, just like our Saviour Jesus did, all of them were single and all of them used their singleness to serve God. See, singleness isn't settling for second best. It's not some lesser, worse off state, but rather singleness is a unique opportunity to serve God. And that's what we see today in our passage. See, it might not be initially what we want, It's certainly Paul's not offering us all the perks of marriage. But he is offering us a great joy and satisfaction. The joy and satisfaction of seeing people come to know Jesus and growing in their faith. Here at St. Stephen's, we often talk of church as a family and that's what, well, well, because that's what it is, but that's what Paul's offering us here, an opportunity to be part of a wider church family. And so you have the opportunity to be a kind of spiritual father or mother, aunt or uncle, to the younger Christians in our church, the teenagers and the young kids. You have the opportunity to be a kind of spiritual sibling to your peers and those at your same age. And you have the opportunity to be a spiritual son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter to those who are older. See, today God's offering you the wonderful opportunity of using your singleness to serve Him and His people. See, never get sucked into the lie of our culture that singleness is settling for second best. But just as we are coming towards the end, it is important to say something else. See, singleness isn't only good when we're using it to serve God and then bad all the the other times. No, there's something inherently good about singleness. Do you know what it is? Sam Albury, we heard heard about him before for his book and some quotes from Michelle. He's a Christian pastor who's single and he talks about this and I found what he said so insightful and helpful. He shows us how actually both singleness and marriage are good. This is what he says. He says this. If marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows us its sufficiency See, marriage is good because it shows us the shape of the gospel. It shows us the kind of love that Christ has for his church, his bride. A love where he would lie his life down for us. That he would die to wash away our sins so we might be forgiven. That's the shape of Christ's love. But singleness is good because it shows us the sufficiency of that love. It shows us we don't need anything else. We don't need a romantic partner. We don't need anyone else. All we need is Christ. Christ and Christ alone is sufficient. And that is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And praise 
God for that. See, in no way, shape or form, is singleness settling for second best. Well, as we close, I just want to share something with you. I chatted with two friends over the last couple of weeks, one male and one female, and asked them, uh, what do you wish, both of them are single, asked them, what do you wish married people would do or not do uh, for you? And uh, they were both remarkably similar in what they said. Uh, one wanted, said, they just want you to treat them like any other person, love them, care for them, spend time with them, invest in their lives, truly get to know them in a sense, just treat them how you treat any other person. The other said something uh, quite similar. They said, uh, they'd love you to invite them into the lives of your family. Let them join in on family events on Saturday morning breakfast or lunch after church on Sunday. Invite them along on a family holiday or if you're going to one of the Belgrave Heights conventions and camping there, invite them to camp on site with you. Invite them over on Easter or Christmas if they don't have family around to go to. Invest in them and love them and care for them, just like you would anyone else. But they also said, uh, don't patronise them, don't feel sorry for them, and certainly don't try and organise someone to, for them to match up with or be a, a matchmaker. Uh, with, uh, at the very least, without asking whether that's what they want, as you invest in them and as you invest in their lives and genuinely get to know them, then pretty soon you'll figure out whether that's actually something they're interested in or not. Another thing is uh, make sure you don't make them feel the need to find someone. Don't push them to feel like they need someone. Maybe they're content as they are. And so what's the best thing we can do for those who are single? Well, love them and include them, and treat them just like another person who loves Jesus. See, the wonderful picture of God's design for humanity is that singleness isn't second best. Praise God that whatever state we're in, He cares about us, and He loves us, and that His love is sufficient. I'm going to pray, please pray with me. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you that your picture of singleness is good. We thank you that Christ's love is sufficient and that we don't need a romantic partner or anyone else for that matter uh, to be satisfied and to be complete. And so we thank you for that sufficiency of Christ's love. We do pray though for those of us in our church who are struggling with being single, would you draw us close? Would you remind us daily of your goodness? And would you remind us daily of the sufficiency of Christ's love. Please also help us to use our singleness for great gospel good. Help us to use it to love and serve others. And please help those of us who are not single to care well for those who are single. But ultimately, Lord, we do uh, thank you for Christ and the sufficiency of what he's done for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.